Welcome to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning, owner of the Unique Garden Center. Join us each week right here as Mike discusses gardening topics and takes your calls and questions. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, here's your host, Mike Branning. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. So, on the way over here, I uh, came down Alta Loma, and uh, anyone that lives in the area... Uh, there's recently been a house that was built over there, and uh, and they cleared probably an acre and a half, maybe. I think I know exactly which house you're yeah. talking about. And I'm thinking, can't fix stupid. You know, I mean, more times than not, the story that I'm told when I ask people why they do that, <coughs> pardon me, uh, they're afraid of snakes. And so they clear the property because they're afraid of snakes if that's you know the reason for this i don't know but you know the thing is is they of course they left the joshua trees but everything else is gone it's just like a football field just all dirt and then the all dirt. few joshua trees that are left yeah and and they're all small right so there's nothing substantial but all the crease and everything is just gone and uh i mean aesthetically it looks really ugly you know if they would have taken out enough property to put the house on and then leave the rest, then that's just, I mean, a, the bulk of your natural landscape right there. Right. You know, and if you don't want choice, then you can go out there and you can hand select what you want to take out, but still leave the bulk of it just to go in there and blade the whole thing. But people do that more times than Afraid not. Afraid of snakes, huh? That's the one thing that's the one thing that I've heard more than any other reason as to why is because of the snakes. But what they do when they do that is uh, two things. Is one, when the wind blows, it's going to blow the dirt around because you disturb the topsoil. And also, when you have virgin soil, topsoil, then you don't get wild mustard and you don't get the tumbleweeds and the ragweeds and all the non-native weeds because they don't grow on native soil that's been undisturbed. But once you disturb the ground surface then you open the door for every non-native weed out there and so now you having the property like that and, and for those who are listening um you know if you have native undisturbed soil on your property then keep that in mind that you're not going to have the weed issue that you'll have if you disturb the soil i didn't know that about the topsoil yeah and um and so not only did he clear the property, um, but now they're going to have this major weed problem every year because they disturbed all the soil. Right. And, um, but, yeah, I saw it thinking, why would anyone do that? Because they're not, they're not, they might not be from around here. And maybe not, but, I mean, even so, I mean, well, if, you, if you like the desert and you're going to build a home, you must not like the desert that much if you're going to wipe it all out. Right. You know? So anyway, I just saw that and I'd make a comment about that. But uh, this time of the year, um, pomegranates are ripening. Ooh. You know, October and November is, is when they come around. That's when they ripen. And it's amazing how many people that I, as my, in my travels around town, I don't know if, if they planted it or if they may have bought the home and they inherited the pomegranate tree, but I see a lot of pomegranate trees are well actually it's a large bush and they're in full fruit 
and nobody picks them. You know, the, they end up, you know, the birds get them, the squirrels get them, but, uh, but no one's out there harvesting them and picking them. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's more work to it than going out there and grabbing a peach or a plum or whatever. Um, but uh, people just kind of, now if you're a kid, you'll go out there and pick them and eat a few. But even if you're a kid, um, there's still work involved as far as you got to cut them open and you got to pick out the kernels it's and all that. It's just like the prickly pear. It's a little bit of work, but yep. the uh, work is well worth it. Oh, yeah, by all means. You know, and so for those who do have a pomegranate that never really got into eating them, um, you know, one, you can either, what I do is I will sit down either at the nursery or I'll sit down in the evening watching TV with a towel on my lap and a bowl and I'll, I'll quarter the pomegranate and then I'll pick out the kernels, and then I'll freeze them for smoothies and applesauce and things like that throughout the year. And um, and so I go through quite a bit of pomegranate. And if you don't want to do that, if you don't do the smoothie thing and all that, then you can do the same thing and then just put them in a juicer and juice them. And what you can do is you can freeze the kernels, and then when you're ready for another bottle of juice, then you can just take them out with all the kernels out and then juice them and and just drink the juice if you want to but either way just so you know some of the they're actually they're uh native to uh, i have written down here where's that here mike uh persia so the tree is native to persia so it's one of the oldest known fruit trees to man really yeah and it uh, gets its name, uh, it's Latin for apple with many seeds. That's it's, a it's quite a fitting it, name. So that's, that's the Latin, that's what pomegranate means is uh, apple with many seeds. And, um, and some of the, the functions as far as the health benefits of a pomegranate is there, the juice is known to help uh, your knees feel better and function better. So if you're getting, whether you're young or old, if you're, you know, getting bad knees, then just a cup a day will make a profound improvement on your knee function. And it uh, also raises the levels of your internal antioxidants. And if you're an older person, it's a great remedy for uh, bladder and kidney issues, which is a good thing. And if you... A lot of people, you know, in their diets, they may not know it, but a lot of people can have uh, parasites or tapeworms in their intestinal tract, and it destroys all bugs in your intestinal tract. And uh, it also strengthens your <clears throat> your uh, teeth gums, and it's a blood purifier, and it also relieves congestion in your liver, and it's also good for arthritis. Pretty potent health food. So all that in the pomegranate. You know, it's not real high in vitamins and minerals uh, in terms of that respect, but the other benefits of it make it r- really worthwhile. And, uh, and it's really beneficial if you're getting older and you're getting bad knees and, you know, issues with your liver, your arthritis, or your uh, kidneys or whatever. And so, yeah, so instead of... Laying those pomegranates just 
drop to the ground and the birds and squirrels get them, you might think about going out there and picking them and eating them. Right. Because they're good for you. All right. And that call-in number, folks, for any and all of your gardening questions is 760-366-8471. So, no pun intended, but food for thought. (laughs) So then, uh, another thing, you know, this time of the year is roses are coming. They're getting their second wind because roses look great in the springtime. And depending upon how their soil conditions are, they may kind of dog out during the heat of the summer, but they always get their second wind in the fall. So if you're looking at, you know, getting roses or wanting to buy roses, uh, or you you want to just, you already have them, and you want to just have them come back and look really good, then definitely I would give them a feeding, and I would recommend giving them a liquid feeding over a granular feeding this time of the year if you haven't already done so because we're already into the middle part of October. So they're going to be going down as we get into the cooler time of the year. So by using a granular fertilizer, it takes water to make that granular soluble to where the roots can take it in, which is just a, a time frame. So if you give it a liquid feeding, then it'll go to the roots right away and you'll get a, a quicker reaction out of the plant because it's going to the plant right away. So if you haven't really been out there and you kind of neglected them and they have dead flowers on them and things like that, you know, go out there and deadhead them, give them a good liquid feeding. And when you do fertilize them, you want to feed them the numbers that are on the container. The middle number uh, represents phosphorus. And phosphorus is the mineral that's going to encourage and promote the blossom. So you want to be sure that you use something high in phosphorus. So if it's going to be like a, a 5105 or 153015, just make sure that the number in the middle is higher than the first number because the first number is nitrogen, which will encourage growth, which isn't a bad thing, but you're really trying to encourage the bloom right now because the bloom is what you want because they're going to be going dormant in another month, month and a half anyway. So by giving them a higher phosphorus fertilizer, you're going to encourage the bloom that much quicker, and you can enjoy them for their second go-around until they go down for the winter. Right, and then in the wintertime, you'll have some nice rose hips as well. Right. You make rose hip tea, all sorts of stuff. Yep, exactly. And there again, if you do do that, then I would definitely recommend using an organic fertilizer versus a synthetic chemical fertilizer. Because uh, just like things that people eat when they buy through the store, if you give the plant a chemical fertilizer, which is a synthetic fertilizer, then whatever you feed that plant is what that plant's going to end up giving you. So if you do do the rose hip tea, um, then uh, I would definitely recommend using an organic fertilizer. And there are a lot of good products on the market that you can use, so it doesn't take too long to find one and, and utilize that. So, But yeah, roses are awesome. And again, as I mentioned in past programs, if you do buy a rose, you know, know where you want to put it before you buy it and then make sure that you buy the right variety. And I'm not talking about the color of the rose, but roses will come in floribunda. And what the differences are, floribundas are going to get about three by three and the blooms are smaller, but they grow in a cluster. A hybrid tea is going to get anywhere from four to five feet and they're going to, you have more of a single 
bloom on a single stem, and then your grandifloras are like a floribunda, but they're going to get between six and eight feet. So just be sure that if you're buying a rose bush, that you buy the rose bush that the size is going to fit the area that you're going to plant it. So there's more to it than just buying it for the bloom. When you see it in bloom, when you look at the picture, but on the picture tag or the tag that has the name of the bush on it, it'll say on that tag whether it's a floribunda, hybrid tea, or grandiflora. And so with that, we'll move on. And also, this time of the year is a really good time if you're into bulbs and they're not going to give you any bloom until the springtime, but the time to plant them would be now. And there are spring bulbs as well, but the bulbs that you want to plant this time of the year, and again, you know, bulbs have a real small window when they're in bloom, but when they're in bloom, they're spectacular. So if you have an area in your landscape that, and, you know, again, I generally will encourage people to go with a drought-tolerant landscape, but if you have a small area (coughs) that... uh, you can put a little more water to and have a little more of a intimate, colorful garden, then bulbs would definitely be something that you might want to think about. And this time of the year, when you buy the bulbs, you can buy daffodils, narcissus, ranunculus, crocus, tulips, freesias, hyacinth, and then it's not a bulb, it's a rhizome, but bearded iris. And you can buy all of those this time of the year and again, they'll give you great color in the springtime. And I wouldn't go overboard with them because, again, they have a very small window. And when the bulb is done blooming, you don't want to just cut them down. What you want is you want the, the growth will gradually die off as it gets hotter more towards summer. But you want the plant to generate that food and that energy for the upcoming fall. And so you don't want to just cut it off and then it's done because they're looking uglier, but as they're going through the process of gradually going dormant, then the leaves are turning brown and yellow and dying back, and they kind of look kind of shabby. And But if you have other plants mixed in with them or annuals, like in the springtime, you could plant, you know, pansies and calendulas and marigolds and petunias, things like that. So if you have a, a good mix of that in there with them, then that'll kind of take away from the, the leaf appearance as they're gradually dying back, but at the same time generating food for the upcoming year's bloom. So uh, definitely you don't want to cut them back, and, uh, but just know that when they're done blooming, they're going to look kind of ugly for a while. Uh, but you can overdo that just by putting in some other things in with them. But are they worth the, the extra work to put in the, in the ground? Absolutely. Right. I'm always surprised how well irises do out here. I have some irises, and they do surprisingly well. They do. Despite the heat, I thought they would be super water intensive. Mm -hmm. Because, like, wild irises, they grow up in the Pacific Northwest. So it's always neat just to see irises out here. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, the bearded iris. And the uh, bearded iris will actually, again, they have what they call a a rhizome root system. And what that is, basically, is just a, a thickened underground root. And as it spreads out then it'll send up a shoot from the root. And so the clump will get bigger and bigger every year. So when they get to the point to where they start getting too big, then you can either, you know, cut that root 
and give it to a friend or a neighbor, or you can replant them somewhere else, or just discard it. That'd be up to you. But you can control the clump. But iris come in a variety of colors. And, and now the iris are going to bloom longer than all the bulbs that I mentioned. So they have a little bit longer bloom period, but they're definitely worth a spot in the, in the landscape for sure. Oh, they're so gorgeous. Because they give a lot of color. Oh, they yeah. They look really, really good. So, yeah, they're well worth putting into the work, into the landscape. And well, what am I going to talk about today? It's amazing how fast you can say what you want to have on your notes if you don't have a collar coming in. Right. You go through your note list pretty quickly. <laughs> and just as a reminder, folks, that call-in number is 760-366-8471, and you can call in with any and all of your gardening questions. So I want to mention, too, we had a customer call this week, and they wanted to prune their mesquite tree. And as I mentioned in past programs, you know, definitely you want to prune a mesquite, uh, but mesquites are bleeders and so they're not dormant yet and so and they're still putting growth on so if they're if you have a low hanging branch you got to do the limbo to get under the to get to the car to your front door or whatever then feel free to go ahead and skirt them up that way but any heavy major pruning i would definitely recommend waiting until the tree goes dormant which is going to be around mid-december through january would be the prime time to prune them and uh and that way, then when you get into them, then you can do some heavy pruning and, and all the major pruning that will be done to structurally strengthen and make the tree have a better framework. But, uh, but again, by doing it now, they're going to bleed a lot. And the same goes, just for those who are listening, the same goes for mulberries. As far as the three main trees out here, their heavy bleeders are the non-fruiting mulberry, the pine, and the mesquite. So those three trees primarily are three of the heaviest planted trees in the area. And again, they're all bleeders. So if you can refrain from pruning those, in fact, I was at the dump yesterday unloading some debris and a truck pulls back with a flatbed trailer full of pine tree. So somebody was pruning their pine tree. And again, you know, and you're not going to lose the tree by pruning it now, but you do open it up for potential insect infestation, and it's a lot of unnecessary stress on the tree by pruning this time of the year. But uh, a lot of times, you know, when you're not, you don't really know that right now isn't the time, and you make a phone call to somebody, uh, or you know, you know, your neighbor, or you have a gardener, or whatever, and if there's a buck to be made, they'll go, yeah, we can prune that tree. And rather than suggesting that you wait until the right time of the year, they're going for a buck, and they're going to do it right now because that's when the customer wants it done. And so by you having the knowledge when to prune it, then uh, you'll know to wait until then. And Or if someone tells you, you know, would you like to have your tree, you know, trimmed, then you can say, yeah, but I'm going to wait until, you know, December, January. All right, and we have our first caller of the day. We have Sunny calling in from Joshua Tree. She has a question about her pistachio trees. Good morning, Sunny. You're on the radio. Hi. Hi, Sunny. How you doing? I'm doing really good. I have a question about my pistachio tree. I have just one, 
and it's in the line with um, uh, almond and uh, a plum and a nectarine. So it's going to be getting ready to harvest. And I wonder, after it, after I harvest it, is that when I should prune it back a little bit? Because it's starting to trail to the ground. You know, it gets, it gets so heavy. Exactly. And as far as uh, lightening the load and picking it up and skirting it up a little bit, now you could do it, yes. But any major pruning, I would definitely recommend, because, again, fruit trees tend to be bleeders as well. And so by waiting until mid-December through January, the sap flow will be at its low point then, because when the tree goes dormant, then the sap, the sap flow slows down, and that's basically your cue to go ahead and start pruning then because you'll have less bleeding from the tree that way. But as far as as far as you know, skirting it up or if it's getting really heavy, you can do some uh, light pruning now to take away some of the stress of the hanging branches. But to any major pruning, you want to wait until mid-December through January. Okay, and are you familiar with what to do with pistachios? Because I, I take them off, I take off the outer shell, the softness, right, and then I store them. I've tried all kinds of different ways to get them to open, but it seems like when I put them in a, a gunny sack, then next year they open. That's I tried putting them in the oven, giving them a salt bath, putting them on trays outside because I've had it like. It's been blooming for seven years, and I've yes. never gotten to eat them now. I have to wait till next year. Generally, you know, by putting them in a bag, like you're saying, and letting them and and not putting them in the refrigerator, but letting them, you know, put them in a, in a cool, dry location, they'll tend to open up that way quicker than. Again, if you you know put them in the oven or things like that, or put them in the refrigerator, that's going to retard them from shedding that outer skin so by putting them in a like you said like you have a, a, a the gunny sack you know will still allow air to come in and by doing that and just having them in a dry cool location then they'll automatically do that on their own and is that when i would take them out and maybe put some salt or flavoring on them it would be yes okay thank you so much okay very good thank you have a great day Thank you, Sonny. So, right on. So, yeah, that's just one more thing that's come around this time of the year. You know, and then again, you know, apples are also ripening this time of the year for a lot of the varieties. And uh, like anything else, whenever you are looking at the apples and you're thinking, well, any day now, you know, another few days or a week, they're ready to pick. Just know that, you know, the birds and the squirrels are checking them out to you and they're thinking well another couple days they'll be ready to go in there and get you know so a lot of times you're both on the same page so if sometimes it's better even though you want to let them ripen on the tree because you get the highest amount of sugar that way which is going to make the apple more flavorful as with any fruit um, but if you get to the point to where you're beginning to get some of the birds and other critters you know eating on them then definitely you might want to go out there and pick them because they're already at that point anyway so you're not going to really be sacrificing any of the the flavor of them because they're already right there to begin with it is like buying a store-bought apple they're picked you know sometimes 
you know, three or four weeks in advance. And so you might want to, you know, either net them. Another thing you can do too, if you have a, a squirrel or a mouse issue, then you can get those dog collars that you put around a dog around their neck so that they can't scratch their ears and put that under the framework of the tree with the large part facing the ground and that way the squirrel can't run up the trunk and get so between the squirrels and the mice and the rats you can totally control that by that cone and if the birds are a big issue then you can always get a bird net and put a bird net over them um, just keep in mind that when you do use a bird net that a lot of times which you know and it's people will sometimes put the net over them but they don't get quite a big enough net and it goes over the top but birds can still get on the lower branches and jump up inside but when they do they don't have you know the the mental awareness all they got to do is go back out the same way they came in but when they are pecking on the fruit and then something startles them or they're ready to fly away they fly into the net and then they panic because they can't get out and a lot of times they'll be forcing their way through the net trying to get out and then being it's just a real thin plastic nylon mesh and a lot of times especially if they're uh, not new so the plastic is a little bit hardened from being used over a you know a year or two period uh, then it becomes more brittle so a lot of times that netting will a strand will break and the bird gets his head stuck in the net and he can't get out and also uh, lizards a lot of times too will have that happen where a lizard will get his head stuck in the net and so you want to be sure to you know go out there and visually inspect the net to make sure that you don't have that going on and as far as the birds go take the net all the way around and totally encapsulate the entire tree and tie it off so they can't get up from the bottom I've also I've seen people get pretty crafty with it. They also put like a piece of metal with Vaseline on it, so mm-hmm. that squirrels can't climb up either. Okay. So you can get real creative with it. Right. That. Right. Exactly. That looks like that's all the time that we have today. Thank you for stopping by, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk Thanks, with Mitch. you. And make sure to tune in next week for another unique garden show. See you later, Mike. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning of Unique Garden Center. Join us again next week at the same time, 8.30 to 9 a.m. with your questions and calls, right here on Z1077. For more information, call Mike at 365-1511.